this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the show. Welcome to Action Movie Anatomy on this very special Wednesday afternoon. It is a special day. We're covering the most exciting adventure film of all time. It's Jurassic Park! Oh my god, guys, we're 98 episodes in. This is unbelievable. I can't believe it. It took us almost 100 episodes to get to Jurassic Park. We're so excited. Hang out with us. We're going to break the whole thing down for you. We'll see you in just one second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now... Here's Popcorn Talk's Action Movie Anatomy. Boom! What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Welcome to Action Movie Anatomy. There it is. Yeah, there it is. John Williams. (laughs) John Williams. Right, it is John Williams. I'm not making that up. I hope you're right. Yeah, I hope we're not just dead wrong. (laughs) People immediately dislike it. Dislike, dislike, (laughs) Turn the show show off. Guys, welcome to the show. Welcome to Action Movie Anatomy. This is the show where we talk about action movies on the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network dedicated to talking pop culture, bucketfuls of pop culture. And that's what we're doing. Jurassic Park, one of the most iconic pieces of pop culture of all time, actually. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Yeah, ever. Uh, This movie is iconic and classic and impactful for so many reasons. And I gotta say... I hadn't watched Jurassic Park in over a decade. I hadn't gone back to watch it in over 10 years. Yeah, it's so weird. Like, we recently made the discovery that James Cameron is actually the most timeless director of all time. But there's something about Spielberg's movies and the creatures in them. Jaws, E.T., the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yep. That is just so iconic. That just live on for so long in such a different way than Titanic does. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. And what's really crazy is, like, when you put those two guys... You put those two guys' movies and what they've created in cinema history, and you wonder, like, what percentage of iconography in American film history are James Cameron and Steven Spielberg collectively responsible for? Are they responsible for, like, four or five percent of, like, the most iconic things ever in movies? Two guys. Like, it's not as high as ten, but, right, like... because, like, you, when you talk... It's like, immediately you want to be like, oh, like, probably 30 percent. Yeah. But, like, that's an insane number. That's outrageous. Yeah, but for them, it's got to be... I mean, I would say even maybe close to ten. Because you think about... Yeah. The things they created in, like... Hell, I've been on a movie set for the last couple of weeks, and the amount of times we've talked about Spielberg and Cameron movies and Creatures and Alien and Terminator and yeah. things like that, it's crazy. Even E.T. was brought up a few times. So, like, just just quickly, guys... Uh, well, we'll do it in a minute, because I, I think I have an interesting exercise here. But, guys, okay. uh, we talk action movies on the show. The action movies on this show adhere to four basic rules. Rule number one, the hero always plays by their own rules. Uh, yeah, I mean, Sam Neill does, sort of. I mean, Goldblum... Goldblum and him are, are like... We, the, we talk about this. The They're duo. the duo. Yeah. yeah. But Goldblum really does play by his own rules. The hero and the villain are always the smartest people in the room, and this is a classic one, because it's mm-hmm. the T-Rex and Sam Neill are the very much the smartest people in the room. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's always like, you don't understand nature, or whatever. It's, <laughs> yeah. like, it's, it's, that, it's that attitude. You can't control it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and then three, the movie is driven by a police, military, political, or mercenary figure. Total swing and a miss on this yep. one. He's a paleontologist. Um, yeah. Uh, he's a paleontologist. He's a paleontologist. Huh? And uh, rule number four, the movie contains a minimum of one explosion. Chaos theory. Is there no explosion in this movie? I mean, you could maybe try to... I feel like there is one later on. But you could maybe try to argue that the uh, shotgun blast in the beginning... Sure. <laughs> Shooter! Shooter! Yeah. Um, girl. So that's uh, that's where we stand, guys. Those are the four basic rules. Some of our movies break those rules. This one feels like it breaks them pretty clearly. Uh, but, guys, if you enjoy the show, if you want to follow along, uh, of course, join the conversation. You can find us on Twitter. At AMA Podcast is where you can find this podcast on Twitter. You can find me personally at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me at Andrew Guy and the same two platforms. Yes, and of course, I do a show now called Fist Pump Film School. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Fist Pump Film Club on Anchor. It's a brand new app. You can download Anchor.fm. It's basically uh, Radio Meets Podcast. Casting. It's little two, three-minute blurbs like Snapchat that fall off every day. Talking about movies and the best movies. It's very inspired by this show. And I did a whole bunch of stuff this week about Jurassic Park and Jeff Goldblum. And uh, yeah, go find that. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's a very fun app. And you can interact. You can call in. I can hear your thoughts. Share your thoughts. So. Yeah, we've definitely had viewers from this show call in and, and interact with you on there. And again, like he said, it was based off of this show. Yep. I helped co-create this show. So <laughs> I'll pop in on there every now and then. I was actually on a few of your anchors. It's a lot of fun. It's cool. It's just kind of like uh, it's tangential and it's also... A little more open structure. It doesn't, and it's, it's not like you stick into something. Which exactly. is the best part. You can just you can do it real quick where you're you know waiting in line somewhere. You can get through like the whole day's content. Yeah, we started. Uh, we were just talking about watching Jurassic Park for the first time in a long time, and then the second one we did was about the trailer, which we're going to cue right now. Uh, yeah, we'll save our discussion for after we cue the yeah, trailer. Yeah, absolutely. Let's cue the trailer. Yeah, it's a horrible trailer. It's not a good one. It's bad, <laughs> bad trailer. Photographer with an eye. For oh, it's a good thing he's got that voice. I forgot. It's a great voice. Welcome to Jurassic Park. We've made. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Living biological attractions. So astounding that they'll capture the imagination of the entire planet. The most phenomenal discovery of our time. Becomes the greatest adventure of all time. You may recognize the voice from the trailer for Congo. Also, Michael Crichton. Sure. Universal Pictures presents. You feel that? Hold on to your butts. It's funny because a Steven Spielberg film. After recently watching it, the trailer is way that's better. Feeling yeah. all yeah. Yeah, that's nice. Gotta go. An adventure. Look out! Yeah! That dinosaur with Jurassic it. Park back on line. Yeah. Be, I think it became the most iconic dinosaur in the movie, other than T-Rex. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's eh, hard. Jurassic to Park. Visually iconic, I think it's the most. Because Which is funny because those are all not real things. Yeah, right. That dinosaur doesn't actually spit any acid or anything. And, and it doesn't have and it doesn't have the feathers, but it just has like the ridge on its face yeah. or whatever. Yeah, but it looks awesome. It's so cool looking. Well, I think that's what I was gonna say. Is like for the action figures. 
I think that that became visually the most iconic of all the dinosaurs. For sure, because everyone had Tyrannosaurus Rex and Raptors toys yeah. already. That was the one that, like, when it opened, you were like, oh. It was cool yeah. looking. And it shot little missiles, I think, yeah. out of it. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I remember it was that. terrifying. <laughs> so, anyway, guys, this is uh, this is the show. We're going to talk about Jurassic Park here. We're going to break the whole thing down for you. Andrew and I actually did the episode for Jurassic World uh, early on in this show. It was like a, been a year ago now, episode. right? Oh, really? It was like, oh, Jesus. Close to flies. two years ago. And uh, yeah. and we we didn't love Jurassic World. We thought that movie was just okay. Yep. Uh, it lost us a little bit. I do wonder had we just watched this again and then went and watched Jurassic World if we'd love it because I did recognize some things like for instance when you watch Force Awakens, there's a lot of Force Awakens that is like this is just Star Wars again but for mm-hmm. a new generation. And they did they they referenced a lot of the original New Hope stuff in that movie to yeah. make it appealing, and it was for that reason. I think if we had watched Jurassic World, there's a good chance that we would have loved... Or, sorry, Park, we would have loved World in kind of the same way. I can see that. I can see enjoying it more because you're, like, you're back in it. You know, you're, like, ready for the next thing. Yeah. Uh, I do think that they... I, I just think, like, with Bryce Dallas Howard's character, they didn't give her enough. And, like, Vincent D'Onofrio being a bad guy. Yeah. You don't need that. You got dinosaurs as your bad guy. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it was it just it was just okay. But uh, in any but case, guys, we are talking Jurassic Park. So uh, let's let's continue to move through the way we, we do this show, which is that we get into thesis statement next. Mm-hmm. Thesis statement is that, uh, it's that bold thought you have about the film. Something really strong, rooted almost in, like, hyperbole. Uh, you want it to be your strongest opinion about the movie that you can kind of defend all throughout. And, uh... I had a couple, yeah, but I think the one I'm going to jump in with first is Jurassic Park is Disneyland the movie. Um, and I yeah. thought about this a lot because I had a couple others that I that I had gone to, but when I say Disneyland the movie, this is what I mean. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Disneyland. Some of you probably have. Some of you probably been to World or some of the other parks. Um, I've been to Disneyland 25 times. I used to go as a kid every year, once a year. I have an annual pass now. Um, Jesus, I didn't even know all this about you. It's drivable, so you can. Yeah, it's <laughs> right, forty-five yeah. minutes away. Um, so, but there's this thing when you go to Disneyland, and, and Disney appeals to different people for different reasons. But mm-hmm. the big thing about Disneyland is you're there, and it's fun, and it's bright, and it's colorful. It definitely captures the imagination. And there's this thing that we all do: the suspension of disbelief while you're there. Where you, yeah. It's not actually dangerous. The, the roller coaster aren't really dangerous. It's not actually scary to be on Pirates of the Caribbean. It's just there's this quaint sort of feeling. It's the reason that Disneyland is so fun. You just you immerse yourself in completely. it completely. It's you, a completely immersive world. Everything. Yeah. You just allow, and it's so fun. All of it. Waiting in line, being on the rides, like it is such a perfect thing. And and what you realize when you watch this movie is. This movie is just that, except instead of suspending your disbelief, they've replaced it with dinosaurs. Yeah, and and it is in the in the movie, it is actually dangerous. But it's a movie, so it's not really dangerous. So it still has that same thing. And then when you talk about when you go to Disneyland, there is just branding and licensing everywhere. There's so many toys. There's so many things you can buy. This movie, like, there's even a shot where they show the gift shop. Right, and everything in the gift shop is things that you can actually buy. They're all for sale. Yeah. They're all really for sale. And like, it, just watching this movie, it Spielberg captures. Spielberg captures Disneyland in a movie in a way that I think no director ever alive could have. Yeah, and, and you know what? I'm going to just completely piggyback on that and saying that Steven Spielberg, Spielberg um, appeals to the kid and viewers better than any other director. There's something about the way that he does things in films, and, and his attention to detail and, and insignificant detail is another beautiful thing that we've talked about in Minority Report and Saving Private Ryan. In this film, uh, the shaving cream on the pie That's is a, a great example. It's, it's funny, too, right? Because we both looked at that when that happened, and we both remembered visually that yeah. moment we were like that uh, yeah from being a kid i was like i remember that i yeah. always want it and then like you know one thing that people love is like the dinosaur scratching itself but but to go back to what you were saying about 
being a kid and being on a ride in this is you watch this movie and from the very beginning with like the creature that you can't see that that pulls the guy in to to the next scene where they're like gently dusting off the dinosaur bones yeah. and then an explosion afterwards it's just when you watch this movie when you watch his movie specifically he makes you feel like a kid in a way that other directors don't uh, most of the movies you, you feel like it because of like nostalgia yeah whereas this like you just kind of feel like a kid watching it again well and something that's so incredible with this you mentioned the you mentioned the visuals but like that's something that I think Spielberg is better at than anyone ever. Um, and that's that you think about the number of things. So this is what I was just going to say. This is right before we started. Mm-hmm. We talked about Cameron and Spielberg and the number of iconic things they've created in the history of movies, right? So let's just quickly list a few like things that jump out at us between their two films that are like actually visually forever. So like, okay, the vibrating water that signifies the T-Rex. Oh, of coming. course. Yeah. That is like, that is an all-time movie moment. I was watching that and I was like, wow, he just, he came up with that. That's, yeah. we associate that now, but he came up with it. Yeah, and, and the thing was is that the guy that was in charge of figuring out how to do it was like, yeah, we can do it. And he had no idea how. Yeah. And they finally figured it out later on with putting guitar strings underneath the dashboard yeah. and and that's what made it happen. So you've got that. E.T. going through the moon. I was going to say E.T. flying through the moon, right? What about just the Queen Alien in general, if you're talking just about James Cameron? Just shot, we'll get away from her, you bitch. But yeah. one of those two things, the visual of the Queen Alien is seared into our memories. Mm-hmm. Yep, the Queen Alien for sure. The um, T2 uh, coming back together after the explosion. Yes. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's super iconic. Um, there, I mean, there's... A hundred Arnold as Terminator. I'll be back. I'll be back. The yep. re- the reverse shot of the uh, of the face hugger, like making that happen. Yeah, right. Filming it in reverse. Yeah, like, yeah. That's such a like James Cameron doing that. He invented that. Um, other stuff that jumps out that are super super famous. The 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 spinning boulder in uh, Temple of Doom. Yeah, right. I mean, yep. I think that's probably. I feel like that's right up there with. The I mean, most just the fin. It, yeah, Jaws. and the music, the fin and, and the, the music together. The music. Yeah, right. The Jaws music. Um, like I mean, it's, it's crazy because you just keep going. Like Schindler's List, the 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 red, the red feature in Schindler's List, yep. just the color of red in the black and white film. Or James Cameron inventing practical three D filming, like the actual real three D filming in yes. Avatar. In Avatar, um, what is another one? I just it just came to mind that I just like forgot. Um, Cameron, I mean, say I mean the oh the, the Normandy, yeah, the beginning beach in yeah in, yeah, in, in SPR, but then uh, catch me. Titanic. Yeah. The front of the boat. The front of the boat. I mean, like... One of the most famous scenes ever in In the history of movies. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's it's crazy when you start to think about this. You're like, these are all things that were created by these two guys. Just these two people, and and not any one person watching this show would not know about these things. Right. They're all iconic. Like, incredibly, like, like game-changing iconic. Yeah. Um... It's crazy to me. I don't know. I mean, we could just keep going. I mean, that's the thing is you could probably name 25 of these. And if you were going to make the 500 most iconic movie moments in the history of American film, there's probably 25 to 30 of them. They're just these two guys. Just these two guys. Absolutely. So at least 5%. Yeah. I feel like that's maybe that right there. Is there is a is we a can rule? Make, we can make a rule so somewhere. Abstract. Oh, absolutely. So we can make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, guys, uh, that's that's where we start with this. So uh, thesis statements. So we've covered them now. Uh, you you did share your thesis statement. Yeah, it was just basically about the appealing to the kid in you as a yeah. viewer. Yeah, it's the greatest ever. That. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving on, guys, we're gonna get into the next part of the show. This is fist pump moments. That moment you're watching the movie, something happens. You're like, oh, this is so sweet. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Are you seeing this right now? I'm yeah. so fucking into this. You just want to watch the rest of the movie. Um, 
you know, we like to say the greatest films of all time have one thing in common, and that is that they are made up by a series of great fist pump moments. They are a series. They are a two-hour long series of fist pump moments. And the the history of movie is the history of movies is punctuated by the greatest fist pump moments of all time. Yeah. That's like that's the that's the theory we've been creating on this show. Which, by the way, that's a small teaser for something that's upcoming that we'll get into later. Big but things. yeah, let's get into our fist pump moment. This is so tough because, like you like you just said. I mean, from that the, that's chaos theory to the squeal. We got dots in here. Like yeah. these are all things you remember. But the amazement on Neil and Dern's faces is what makes this movie happen. Like they sell it so well. That first scene when he sees the dinosaur and he pulls off his glasses and he stands up and he grabs her head and turns and then she stands up and pulls yeah. off her glasses and then he goes out and he he falls to his knees and Sam Neil says he's like I couldn't faint. Yeah, you know we're filming, but I needed something. It's like it's something like that would bring you to your knees in that look, and then welcome to Jurassic Park and the wide pan with all the dinosaurs. Yeah. Like you just get this rush yeah. of like yes, yeah. I want to be there. I want to watch this. It's gonna go bad. Yeah. It's gonna go real bad, but I can't wait to see it happen. But it's not bad yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's you just want to be there. Yeah, the setup is just wonderful. Yeah. Um, for me, the the first thing I noticed about this movie was 15 or 20 minutes into watching this, I kind of looked over at you and I was like, wow, this is like picture-perfect movie making. It's like it's like there hasn't been a wasted frame yet. Yeah, ex- yeah that's exactly what I was just going to say. I was, like, I was like, can you imagine reading this script? I was like, reading this script, you would just be like, this is the most exciting thing I've ever read. <laughs> I, and it is. You're watching the movie and you just can't believe how good it is. There's, there's no... I mean, okay, we talk about those iconic moments and you think about movies that you like, even some movies you love have two or three or four of those moments mm-hmm. but they don't hold up in the way that they like every single shot every single scene piece to piece to piece they don't hold together in the way that this does so there's no yeah there's no frame there's no second of this film that is that is wasted yeah, at all all of it and you realize how many of them you remembered as a kid and they still hold up so you know, I was going to do a Goldblum fist pump, but I'll save it. Yeah. I think probably the fist pump for me right away is when he's explaining, Sam Neill's explaining what raptors do oh, to that little kid. So good. The kid's like, I'm not that scared. They don't look that scary. And Neil's like, let me explain to you what a raptor does. Yeah. And you're just like, by the way, the voice, the, the trailer voice, um, I'm sure they were like, it was so successful in Jurassic Park that actually we're just going to use the same trailer voice for Michael Crichton's next movie, Congo, which turned... The only reason Congo was such a big deal when it came out was because it was the next adapted Crichton book after Jurassic Park. And that movie turned out to be kind of a flop and not very good. Super awesome. But the trailer is fantastic and the the voice and the the trailer... A diamond mine of incredible bounty. I wonder at this point the number of times we've imitated that guy's voice. If we were to like record one of us doing a sentence, then play it next to the trailer, how close we could actually get. I wonder how close it would be. Yeah. Or are, we definitely need to get a little lower. Yeah. A diamond, a diamond mine of incredible bounty. Incredible bounty. Yeah. Something. Yeah. <laughs> Our fans are just like, what is <laughs> what going are you on? Guys talking about. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so for me, I think it's that scene. He's talking about the raptor and the way the raptor's claw cuts. He's like, he doesn't slice you. Like he slices you here and here, so your intestines fall out. Yeah. Or he's like, he doesn't hit you from the front, but from the sides. Yeah. You know, because they attack in packs. So you're just like, Jesus. Yeah. Th- that's the thing is like the setup in this movie. Again, it's another one of those things where you're like, this just it's picture perfect screenwriting because the way it sets up, you get the payoff later in the film with yep. the hunter trying to take on the raptors, but he comes at him from the side and. It's it's like these simple things that you learn. Oh, they're so you know they're truly as deadly as they are cunning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but th- that was a thing that we really noticed, and, and I'm sure that's that's 
pretty relevant in all Spielberg films. That's yeah. why he's such a great director. But I don't know why in this film, maybe it's because we hadn't seen it in so long and we were maybe expecting a little less out of it. Yeah. But, I mean, we watched it in two parts. We watched it up until the first T-Rex attack because it was so late and we were very exhausted. But that was, up until that point, there was not a single scene that we were just like this is perfect right this is absolutely perfect and it's so crazy how much time people waste in movies and he still made a two hour movie without wasting any time yeah it's crazy yeah. it's unbelievable two, two hours flew by in the end yeah. um, so anyway guys let's move on to the next bit of the show and that is discussing Mr. Jeff Goldblum because we're gonna get into star profiles yeah and as much as I want to talk about Sam Neill and Laura Dern <laughs> look Sam Neill and Laura Dern are fine the star of this movie fine. <laughs> is Jeff Goldblum and the T-Rex that's like that, that's yeah. who stars in this movie. Definitely. And it's, it's this probably this picture right here is almost my fist pump moment because that's a real frame from the movie. Yeah, Spielberg saw that he's like perfect. Yeah. He's like what like Goldblum shows up and he's in like the black and all the leather and you're just like yep. who is this guy? Cuz Attenborough even says the line, you you know, what's he say? You uh, uh you brought I, I brought you scientists, you brought a rock star. Yeah, something yeah. like that. And you're like, so they're really trying to sell that he is this rock star. So I'm sure Spielberg was like, yeah, he's got his leg all cut up, but he's still just laying there like a Lothario. He's got him <laughs> like a gigolo. Uh, oh, another thing I was going to say is that uh, Spielberg did say that he wanted Attenborough to be the dark Walt Disney. Yeah, right. Which I is what that. was so interesting about your thesis. Yeah. So <laughs> so Goldblum, just like the, the Goldblum splayed out thing, gets us discussing... Yeah, it gets us discussing over under properly rated for Jeff Goldblum because while doing this, while watching this, you realize, like you said, that Jeff Goldblum is truly the star of this. And, it, and it's not even, I mean, it, he does completely steal the show, whether it's intentional or not, but he has so much on screen charisma. Yeah. Everything he says, everything he does is so interesting and so weird and quirky that you can't take your eyes off of him. So, my question, the discussion I want to bring up is the over under properly rated for Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum also starred in The Fly, which is a cult classic, yep. and Independence Day yep. in the 90s, which was one of the biggest films ever. So, Unless I'm mistaken, this and Independence Day, respectively, were the highest grossing films of 1993 and 1996, and he is the star of both movies in my mind. Absolutely, he's the star of both of them. He, going back and watching both films, he is what stands out the most. Yeah, which is funny, because we thought, we thought Will Smith was the star of that movie. We were dead wrong. We were. We yes. were dead wrong. And I thought that Jeff Goldblum was the star of this movie, it's, and he's not. It's Sam Neill and Laura Dern. Yeah. Like, going back and looking at the actual billing. Yeah. Um, so, the question is, over under proper. So, all right. First and foremost, let's talk about one thing. Jeff Goldblum, he's revered as kind of a classic actor, mm -hmm. but he's never had an Oscar nomination. Yep. Um, he, his Oscar nomination that he does have is for like a short film or something like that, but he's never never a traditional Oscar nom for a leading or supporting actor role. Um, he's never written anything or directed anything. He's just kind of become a part of what I described the other day on Anchor as the Chuck Norris theory, yeah. which is he's kind of one of these actors like Swayze when Swayze was alive, where there's this fascination people have with them. It's like Patrick Stewart now. Yes. Except for that now that he's back in Logan, it it, it, it takes yeah. away. But it was like, why do people... Or why are you so obsessed with Patrick Stewart? Yeah, it's the, it's these kind of actors and actresses that have this kind of bankability where, like, there's this cool factor, this kind of enigmatic cool factor that's just associated with them. And kind of weird. Yeah. I, the biggest actor now that I can think of that has taken on this personality far more than his acting is Nicolas Cage. Oh, I thought you were going to say Malkovich. No, Cage has become this guy because, like, he's... People don't care about Cage's acting anymore. Oh, no. But there's a billion Nick Cage memes online... He's the easiest actor to make fun of, and he is instantly recognizable to, like, anybody of any age because he still gets referenced almost as much as anyone. Yeah. So it's like that whole Chuck Norris can do this, Chuck Norris can do that thing. Goldblum has kind of taken on a similar personality, but he did it a few years ago, so 
you realize when he shows up in stuff like The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou right. as that is a right. great he's character. So good in that. Um, he's just this like weird character in movie after movie. Yeah, I had the, there's this awesome like four frame meme out there of Jeff Goldblum, and it's like the first one's like people always come up to me and ask, "Is it Goldblum or Goldblum?" And the next one's like, and I always say the same thing. And then the next one's just like a pause. And the fourth one is. How dare you speak to me? <laughs> <laughs> fucking love it. He did. He actually did it on some comedy short, but it's... Yeah, he's just become one of those people that, like... He's become such a caricature of himself yeah, that yep. when you see him in things, he really has to pull off, like, a tour de force for you to, like, disconnect. Like, Patrick Stewart yeah. in Logan, again, it's like the whole number one and, and like, mocking Next Generation and him yeah, right. on Family Guy has become such a joke, but then he comes out and he does something like that. That's what I would say. I have, I have like, a very interesting uh, point of view on this. I have two opinions. Number one, my second thesis was Jeff Goldblum is the most underrated action star of the 1990s, and it's just strictly for the two films. Um, but that's the 1990s, and that's two movies. The actual character, like, caricature of Goldblum that he's taken on, I would actually say he's overrated, because he was not good in right. Resurgence. Right, 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 I see what you're saying. That movie sucked, yeah. and he didn't save it. No. He like the gimmick when you actually watch it isn't something that can save a movie. It's just like he's become this character. So I think actually the idea that if you put Goldblum in something, it just like elevates it in the way that if you put Denzel in something, it elevates it. It's, it's not, not true. Yeah, no. So I think Goldblum's actually overrated. But I think in the nineties, in, in retrospect, prime, he's totally underrated. I I completely agree. Like if for some reason they went and they they went running with everyone else yeah. other than him in his films, even though he was what made them so interesting. So. I, I can agree with that. I can say in the 90s he was definitely underrated because I loved Independence Day. I loved Jurassic Park. And going back and watching Jurassic Park, he's the best part of it. And then, yeah, now whenever I see him in something, it's just I can't not see Jeff Goldblum. One of our fans called into my station and told me that they thought uh, The Lost World's highly underrated. That actually like that World. movie's pretty good. Yeah. And it got like it got pretty panned. Like if you go and look at the awards. That's the one with uh, William H. and Julianne, right? That's the th- William H. is in the third one. Julian's in the, the second, second one. one. Right, The third right. one's the raptor language, right? And the second so. one's the one with double T-Rex in San Diego? I think so. The yeah, second one, yeah, yeah, if yeah. I remember correctly, the scene... Yes. It's Vince Vaughn's in the second one. Yeah. The scene in the second one that I remember is the... It's the bus goes over the edge, and it's... Oh, and... and they're the, on the glass, yeah. right? In the back of the bus. Mm-hmm. I watched that in theaters with my dad. and it's I creepy. Yeah, it was really... That's a cool scene. It's a good scene. It's a good it scene. It was a good movie. I mean, well, at the time, and I, I think I only saw it in theaters. Got nominated for some Razzies. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I'd have to go wa- back and watch it again. But in any case, he's the star of the second one, I think. Goldblum Returns. Mm-hmm. It's, it's Goldblum, Vaughn, and Julianne Moore. And then the third one, I think, is H. Macy, and they bring Sam Neill back. I think that's right. And Tay Leone yeah. in the third one? Yep. Right? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, it's like Tay Leone and... And William H. Macy's kid goes missing on the island. They hire Sam Neill because he's been there before. And yeah. It, it Craziness ensues. Here's a piece of trivia for you that surprised me. Hmm. What year did Jurassic Park 3 come out? Jurassic Park 3? This was 90... Uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, the first is 93, Lost yeah. World's 97. 2002? 2001. One. So you're really close. Yeah. I was way off. In my mind, and I had, I had a realization the other day thinking about this. It's another one of those things where you think about our age and when we grew up and the kind of... Like so, Jurassic Park in '93 is just just too old for us to have actually been cognizant of it being the movie that it was when it came out. We were five years old. Yeah. So it's it's by the time Lost World comes out, we're like old enough to understand that this is a movie we should care about, and it's dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. And at the time, the Jurassic Park three came out, we felt like we had 
grown up, but we hadn't, obviously. In 2001, we were 13. But by 13, you're like, oh, I understand adult things. I like things that are cool. Right, right, right. So in my mind, I was like, the third one came out years later. It came out in, like, 2006 in my mind, right? (laughs) No way. It was like, it was just a few years. Same thing with Alien Resurrection. I had the same experience where I was like, that was the Alien movie that came out in my lifetime. Way later. Years later. And I was totally wrong. It was four years after Alien 3. It just because it feels like such a different... Film, yeah, different time in film as well. I totally forgot. So, I my thesis statement that I gave was like the one that I'd been thinking about for like two days, but it wasn't the one I wanted to give. The one that I wanted to give, I just blanked on, and it was that the DNA cartoon is the greatest use of exposition in a film ever to appeal to children. That's why it also, yeah, uh, the, that's why the, the the whole appealing to children thing was set because that was pure brilliance. Like you and I watching that, we were like, holy shit, you just turned like a two hundred page book into a two minute cartoon, yeah. Completely. In a movie. They're literally, yeah, they're literally showing the cartoon and you're watching and you're like, oh, it all makes sense now. Yeah. You're like, and you didn't have to have a voiceover and you didn't have to have some boring scientist explaining it to some other character who's in disbelief. Nope. It was a children's cartoon. We're totally engaged and it explains everything. Two minutes. Yeah. Done. Yeah, that was that was mind blowing to me. That was like the cool, one of the coolest things in the whole film. So I'm so glad that you pulled that. Uh, all right. So to actually get into star uh, profiles and breakdowns. Oh, we've already done the star. We can move on. <laughs> it's weird because uh, this was a time in movies um, and, and it, w- with acting where TV movies were a big thing. Yeah. Uh, so Sam Neill, two of his three credits were TV movies. The Rainbow Warrior and Family Pictures, both in 93, were TV films. And then there was The Piano, also in 93. Yeah. I don't know any of those. I think I maybe know The Piano. Piano's a big movie. Piano was yeah, like a big Oscar that movie. That was a big, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, lots of, lots of nominations there. Uh, and then Laura Dern, on the other hand, um, same thing. She was in Industrial Symphony Number no. 1. The yep. Dream of the Broken Hearted, which was a TV movie. Okay. And then Rambling Rose and Afterburn in 91 and 92. So it was another one of those, like, we're going to pick some up-and-comers that aren't too expensive, that aren't going to distract from the film. I don't know Afterburn. I believe, unless I'm mistaken, Laura Dern, she got a, her second Oscar nomination for supporting for Wild a couple years yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. Or Cake, was it? It was Cake, I think. Cake or Wild? I can't remember. I looked at it this morning. Yeah, it was one of the two. But her other one was Rambling Rose, I think. That's a lead actress nomination. Mm-hmm. She's the son of Bruce Dern, and that's, or the, the daughter of Bruce Dern, and uh, that's like the big role, but weirdly enough, I've never heard of the movie, so. Yeah, I don't, what's the deal with Laura Dern? I mean, it was, she has famous parents. She yeah. turned in some good work. She was 35 when they made this movie. It's like, this is prime role to be like a paleontologist she's talented she's been good in a lot of things she was just she was just fine she was just like a filler maybe in Hollywood kinda a little bit I think yeah I, I think it's her in Twister too right no that's Helen oh, Hunt, Helen Hunt yeah. right? god damn it I always get Helen Hunt Jodie Foster and Laura Dern mixed up yeah 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 I think that there's I think you know I think just okay is probably an understatement because there's a lot of actresses that never received an Oscar nom, let alone two. Oh, for sure. So I think she's probably a little above average but I think that there's the whole when you have the famous family it's like you get a little bit grandfathered into getting the kind of roles that she gets. This, I mean, yeah. Bryce Dallas Howard ended up. Bryce Dallas Howard is a famous daughter, so she gets to have the career. Not to say that either one of them's not good. It's just or, yeah, or that people that aren't yeah yeah. But yeah, yeah Laura Dern about all that completely. And mm-hmm. and I mean, look, Laura Dern, she's been good in a lot of things. She has a lot of weird roles she shows up in. She showed. I think she's in. Um, isn't she in that new show is with she, Shailene yeah, Woodley? I think she is. The yeah. Big Little Lies or whatever? Big Little Lies, I think. And yeah. I think she's all and then she's also in that movie a few years ago with Will Ferrell, Everything Must Go. She has a really great scene with him in that movie. I like that movie a lot. Yeah. I actually it. just watched it again the other day. Yeah, it's isn't cool she isn't she who he goes to see writes in his yearbook? And he's like, You yeah. said I was a yeah. winner in high yeah. school and she's like, I haven't seen you in like twenty ago. years and yeah. he's just like, and Tell he's me why weird. you said that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good movie. Yeah, it's good. It's Rebecca as well. 
Um, which one? Rebecca, not Ferguson, the other one from the town is in there as the pregnant neighbor across the street. Rebecca Hall. Hall. Yep. That's right. Yep. All right. So uh, moving on to production development here. Um, so there's a lot of really interesting little things, little yep. tidbits that we found out. Uh, the T-Rex constantly malfunctioning due to the rain. It would just like turn on yeah, and stop. Awesome. And like yeah. people with Kathleen Kennedy was saying that she would just be like, we seen there eating lunch and all of a sudden you'd hear people screaming. You don't know yeah. what's going on. And then you realize it was the T-Rex. So they had to start like putting platforms above him to keep him from getting too soaked and too heavy. Freaking out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Harrison Ford turned down the role that Sam Neill got. Which is crazy because he says, after after seeing the film, he says that he made the right decision. It's like, no, you didn't, actually. Yeah, I think that's just him being a cock and being like, well, I just missed out on... It's like, like, like Sam Neill is about as replacement... Like, like he is... The he, only thing keeping him above replacement level is that he's the star of Jurassic Park. Right. Yeah. And, and, like, this role is Harrison Ford's roles. So Harrison straight Ford up. is the everyman action hero. He should have been... This should have been a Harrison Ford movie. And had this been a Harrison Ford movie... Even the year, 1993, what Harrison Ford was doing from 93 to 97. Oh, it was, no, do, do this instead. Do this instead of the Jack Ryan movies. Yeah. Do Air Force One in 96. Yeah, still do Air Force One. But, though. like, aside from that, just don't do Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger. Do The Fugitive and do this, and you're good. You're golden. Yeah, it's weird, because you wouldn't... In the back of my mind, as a movie critic, I want to be like, yeah, but I don't want to see another Spielberg-Ford collaboration after Indy. But then you're like, well, who gives a shit? Yeah. It's not like Indiana Jones, and it's not like this character. This character is so far detached yet so similar yeah. that it wouldn't. I feel like it wouldn't bother you. You would just be like, "Awesome." Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where hindsight's twenty twenty, and who knows if he does this movie? It's a, if it's as good of a movie. Who knows yeah. if like his career is different? I don't know. I mean, you can't really say this movie should have had someone else when it's one of the Looks great perfect. movies ever yeah. made. But in any case, I thought the other interesting thing here was that James Cameron said that he wanted to make the film. But the rights were bought a few hours before yeah, he could bid. In quotes, Donner was also fighting. Richard Donner was. Yep. And uh, there was one more big one from back then. Yeah, yeah, I saw. I, I can't saw remember this. who. But uh, yeah, it, after seeing the film, um, what he said was he thinks that Spielberg was the right person to make it because his would have been much more violent and not as fair to children. He basically said it would have been like aliens with dinosaurs. Yeah. And he's probably right. I mean, there there is a distinct difference in their two styles. And, uh, yeah, but it's funny, like, just the two of them, especially in that era, they're not really that way anymore. It, no, it's it's interesting, because, yeah, exactly. Nowadays, it would be very rare that the two of them would be in fights over rights to a project. Yeah. They, they do such different things now, and Cameron only does Avatar. But <laughs> uh, it's super cool to kind of think about these guys back then, 20 years ago. Yeah. Like, they're still the biggest directors in the world. Yeah. But they're not... James Cameron and Steven Spielberg to the extent they are now. It almost makes you feel like actually, um, you know that show Feud they just made. Oh yeah, yeah. I How don't know about it, it, but it's like fam- it's like famous feuds between okay. Jessica Lange and. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. Or yeah, sorry, Betty Davis, and I'm I'm getting it all mixed up. Anyway, it was it was a good show uh, from what I understood. I didn't watch it. I know exactly. Um, but talking about other feuds that would have been awesome Spielberg and Cameron as a feud yeah I mean I don't know if they ever actually feuded no but at the same you know that in the back of their minds every now and then they're like god damn the rivalry god damn would have been James a, oh my god like 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 fictionalizing the rivalry would have been so cool maybe that's what we write our action movie about right Cameron <laughs> and Spielberg Cameron and Spielberg like as superheroes yeah <laughs> That's amazing. Um, anyway, continue to move through here, guys. We're going to get into the people that made the film. So the two writers on this are Michael Crichton and David Coop. So Crichton, uh, we've talked about a lot of times. Everything from Jurassic Park to Twister, Rising Sun, Sphere, Timeline, Westworld. Um, super, super famous yeah. writer. Like, definitely... I mean, like we said, Congo is his next novel. 
and he was already so famous by the time this one came out he was paid two million dollars for the rights of the book before it was published yeah so this movie this book came out in 89 they went into production on the film in, in 89 so it was a year earlier and um, Crichton is just the guy. He's like, yeah, yeah, you give me $2 million and a significant part of the uh, the percentage on the film. And I'll let you make the movie. Yeah. Can you yeah. imagine? Just like selling a book, selling movie rights before a book even comes out is crazy. Yeah. I can't even imagine what that's like. Like, it still happens, but like, I don't think to that level. No. And then, um, co-op. 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 Yeah. Uh, American screenwriter and director. He's um, <clears throat> known for doing the first two Jurassic movies, as well as Mission Impossible, Indiana Jones, Temple of the Crystal Skull. Spider-Man, War of the Worlds, um, and he received $4 million for Panic Room with Jodie Foster yeah. and Forrest Whitaker, uh, which is, you know, good for you. That's like uh, one of those classic situations, though, where, like, you're you're that successful, you're yep. that notable. You're that guy. You can get the $4 million script. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's writing the script for the fifth Indiana Jones. He's actually currently the fifth most successful screenwriter in the history of U.S. box office with $2.3 billion. <laughs> I mean, when you've got an Indiana Jones movie, a Mission Impossible, and a Jurassic Park, and a Spider-Man under your belt, that's huge. Yeah, and then what the funny part is, though, if you go look at the uh, movies he directed, because he's a writer and a director. Terrible. Stir of Echoes, Secret <laughs> Window, Mordecai, that movie from last year with, with uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and, yeah, and Depp. Jo- Donnie, Johnny so Depp. Panic Room is also, I mean, not, uh, uh, Secret Window is also Depp. Yeah. Um, one thing that I thought was cool was that Co-op was like walking to a store or maybe to go pick up his morning paper or something. Yeah. He was walking by uh, a theater that Jurassic Park was screening at, and he was new to this, and Jurassic Park had just opened. And he said he was walking by, and people walk, uh, the person in the box house walked out. Was, Sorry, the seven o'clock show sold out. People were like, oh, yeah. Like, and the ten o'clock show sold out. And they're like, oh, and tomorrow night seven and ten o'clock show sold out. Yeah. And Saturday nights seven and like that was when he was like, I don't know a lot about movies. Yeah. But I feel like we made a really good movie. Yeah, yeah. That's gotta be That'd good be news. A cool feeling. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> uh you wanna you wanna keep going here with this this next little thing you got? Uh oh, <laughs> you're talking about this next bit that we're gonna do? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I mean, pretty much, you know, we can thank Michael Crichton and Dave Koff for creating the character of Ian Malcolm. I think that that's, uh, I think we're all pretty thankful for the character of Ian Malcolm. Yes. And uh, in, the, in the theme of what we used to do with action movie tagline, sometimes we do something called, called a spinoff or the pitcher spinoff. Andrew and I have both decided to pitch our best Ian Malcolm spinoff in a competition. So if you're watching or listening, tweet at us at AMA Podcast, at Ben Bateman Media, at Andrew Guy. Let us know who you think wins the Ian Malcolm spinoff film. Now, this is a non-Jurassic spinoff. So it shouldn't involve dinosaurs. I mean, it can. I don't yeah. really give a shit. But <laughs> mine doesn't involve dinosaurs. Mine doesn't involve dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Marissa, is there any chance we could get a, a little timer up there? We got Marissa Serafini up in the booth, by the way. Marissa, how you doing? It's actually Steve right now. Oh, Steve! What's up, Steve? How you doing? Hey, doing good, doing good. Steve, where can people find you? Or can they not? Uh, they cannot. You they don't exist. You're a creature Steve of the night. I love it. <laughs> Uh, we don't need a timer because we just get to do the pitch. Just a pitch. Okay. Just go through it. Fair enough. Never mind. <laughs> Forget the time. Uh, do you want to go first? Oh, you can go first. <laughs> All right. Ian Malcolm, the movie. Ian Malcolm, the movie. Years after the disaster at Jurassic Park, a crazed Ian Malcolm goes into hiding in middle America. Spinoff. It's him as a grocery store manager that believes chaos theory is involved in everything, especially how you stock the shelves. He's become so obsessed with chaos theory and stocking the shelves as such that the people of the town have started to worry and stopped frequenting his stores. This made Dr. Ian Malcolm very upset. He started to stalk people of the town that look like Dr. Ellie Sattler and brainwashing them into becoming his muses. And now he's got an army of Ellie Sattler lookalikes that are murdering people in middle America. 
How does it conclude? Uh, dude, you got to watch the movie. Holy moly. <laughs> wow. Uh, that was... Didn't that was, see that coming, did you? No, I was going to use the serial killer angle, and I decided not to use it, so I'm glad you chose to use it. Okay. You're welcome. Years before the Jurassic it's Park... It's called Chaos Clerks. <laughs> <laughs> did you just make that up right now? No, it's written down. <laughs> Years before the Jurassic Park debacle, Professor... Ian Malcolm at Indiana State University. I love that you picked a school. Who teaches chaos theory at Indiana State. Uh, starts dating a young Hispanic student of his. He's an alcoholic professor. He's cheating on his wife. And he's having a relationship with this young Hispanic student. Who, upon realizing that he has impregnated her... Um, <laughs> Jesus realizes, Christ. Yes, yeah, she's pregnant. And uh, they agree that she needs to get an abortion. But... But he has a lot of affection for this girl and realizes that she's an illegal immigrant. So he decides, because they can't take her to a legal doctor, they have to drive across the country. They have to drive across the country and get to Mexico, right? So it's a road trip film to get her. But in the road trip film, Dr. Ian Malcolm ends up falling for the girl, and they make it to Mexico, and they they decide to stay in Mexico and have the baby together. And he leaves his wife. Yes. He doesn't tell his wife. He just ups and disappears. He just disappears. Yeah. These are not good movies. It's called Chaos Trip. <laughs> I love that we had No, maybe it's called Chaos Highway. I think Chaos Highway is the better is the better title. It is better, but that's why it should be called Chaos Trip. <laughs> All right. Uh, if you guys have better pitches, which I'm sure you will, get them at us at AMA Podcast with hashtag the pitch. Um, you really don't think that that's a great film? I, dude, <laughs> illegal immigration, abortion, it's a good one. It's, a, 27, it's a 2017 film. Yeah, it's, I feel like it's a Hallmark movie. Like uh, <laughs> a, de- a different, better film would probably get recognized for Best Picture, and then they'd call you this out. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, sure. Not a knock on Moonlight. <laughs> uh, all right, so Steven Spielberg. I mean, we've talked about him a lot recently. Yeah, we've we covered just... him on the show several times. Yep. Um, it's probably the third or fourth. He's made over eight point five billion dollars at the box office for his films. He made two hundred and fifty million dollars for this film, which is the most anyone has ever made from any film ever. Yeah, uh, it's a crazy stat. Yeah, he had the two most successful films at the box office domestically ever back-to-back, which was E.T. followed by Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. And then he was beaten out by his rival, James Cameron, with Titanic and then Avatar. So, I mean, is there anything else you want to throw in? Oh, actually, this this fact is really cool if you want to talk about that. Uh, The thing down here about him doing um, uh, Schindler's List. Yeah, this was really cool. So, so Schindler's List went for, what, like a a year almost? Yeah, so Schindler's List is the same year as Jurassic. Mm -hmm. They're both 93, right? Yeah. So... He was in Poland filming Schindler's List while doing Post via video link chat with uh, uh, for for this movie. And so what I read was Could he you later imagine called being it, that big. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. He later called it one of the hardest times in his life as a filmmaker because the filming of the Holocaust-themed Schindler's List took such an emotional toll on him that his enthusiasm for Jurassic Park had almost waned. He said that he needed an hour per day to get into the right frame of mind and muster up the energy and patience to comment on digital dinosaurs and answer trivial questions from the special effects crew crazy story it gives it just like it chills like yeah. literal chills because yeah man he's jewish he's, he's doing jewish, schindler's he's list he's doing one of the hardest mo- i mean saving private ryan the pianist and and schindler's list are three of the absolute hardest films to watch ever and clearly for him too because he is jewish and like yeah man how do you do that every night like during the day you're dealing with building sets of actual gas chambers and people dying you're working with emaciated extras on set all day that weigh less than 100 pounds 
And then it's like, yeah, but the dinosaur shooting the acid in the face of Newman yeah. doesn't really sell right. Yeah. Like, that's just crazy it's to like, me. Shut the fuck up! It's like, you don't even know! Uh, but to, to, to speak to his talent and patience, he did it. He, he did. did it really well. And he made two of the great films ever made. Yeah. Ever yeah. made. Yep. Uh, that's, that's all we need to cover with Spielberg. Yeah, so aside like from that, the two major producers on the film, Kathleen Kennedy of Kennedy Marshall, married to Frank Marshall, and Gerald R. Mullen. Gerald R. Mullen, Gerald R. Mullen is a frequent contributor of Steven Spielberg. He retired in the mid-2000s, going all the way back to the late 70s. He worked on Tootsie. Um, and you call up, me? <laughs> winning Oscars for Rain Man and Schindler's List. Worked on The Colored Purple, Minority Report. Mm, mm-hmm. Big producer for a number of years. Uh, for roughly 20 years, he was big in the game. And 20, 30 years. And like, semi-retired at this point. Kind of doesn't really frequent the film business anymore. Kathleen Kennedy. Um, what did I read here? With over $6 billion <sighs> in domestic box office receipts. She is... Uh, what the first two became the Kennedy is the third only to Spielberg and Stanley in domestic box office receipts. Yeah, with over over six billion in December 2015, and then down here, you go. Overall, Kennedy's work has included over 60 films, 120 Academy Award nominations, <laughs> and over 11 billion dollars worldwide, yeah. including the three highest grossing films in motion picture history. Three of the highest. Three grossing. of them, yeah. excuse me. Um, which is, you know. <laughs> She's like the Bruce Berman yeah. of the female world. She's, yeah, but way bigger. But bigger. Yeah. Yeah. She's like almost as big as it gets. Yeah. She's Crazy. Probably. I would say if you were making Hollywood powerless, I mean, she's probably top 15, top 10. Yeah, and then for women, like top five. She probably the most, I mean, who's like, bigger? Like, are you talking production-wise? Yeah, I mean, she's... Oh, probably she, no one then. She's more Maybe sh- like Bigelow? Like, yeah. if you're talking, like, women in Hollywood. I think she's got to hold more clout than anyone. Yeah. I mean, like, that, I mean, those numbers are... That's unprecedented. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if we're wrong about that. If we are if we were more tuned into the high-stakes producer world of Hollywood, we'd follow a little more of the uh, creative yeah, side exactly. of it. Uh, um, which is... This is a perfect segue into what we're talking about next, which is box office and critical. Um, this movie only cost $63 million to make, which is astounding. Astounding, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, it was made by Universal in 93. It was released in June, summer blockbuster. It grossed $402 million domestic, an additional $626 million worldwide for $1.029 billion in 93. Yeah. 93, unadjusted. $1.029 billion. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Like, Unbelievable. crossing the billion border is... It's insane. Even nowadays, when it happens, it's insane. At the time, it was the highest-grossing film ever made. Yeah. Um, let's see, that was all we got there. Yeah. So critically, this is an eight point one. It's number two hundred five on the top two hundred fifty, which it needs to be on the top two hundred fifty. It's it's just one of those movies. It just has to be. Absolutely. Uh, it doesn't really follow our algorithm, which makes sense because um, actually, it doesn't make sense to me. Why? Why is so? All critics is a ninety-three. Yep. Top critics is an eighty-eight, and the audience is a ninety-one. I would think audience was a hundred. I would too. I would at least ninety-eight. Yeah. Why? Why do you think that is? I mean, yeah, I don't. I really don't know. That's very surprising to me. It's a, one of the only examples I can think of. This is this is like an exact kind of movie where the audience score feels like it should be the highest. Exactly, and, and, and all of them should be in the nineties. Yeah. I don't know who would give this movie an eighty-eight, but those. I mean, when you get to older movies, we've said this before. The percentages get a little weirder the older you get. Yeah. And there was 117 reviews to pull from, but even so, it's I don't really understand it. So, um, it won three Oscars uh, for visual effects, sound effects, and sound editing. It was nominated for a few more. Um, it makes sense. It yep. should. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, I guess that's... Yeah, yeah, that's that's what we've got for that. Sorry, I yeah. just I had a hiccup there. Uh, let's get into the last part of the show here, guys. Favorite line. This is your favorite line in the film. Something you think is totally awesome. 
pretty straightforward. Uh, there's a lot. They're all Goldblum. There's, they, they, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, all the best lines are Goldblum, other than, we have a T-Rex. Yeah. That's, that one's great. But, I mean... You bred raptors? Yeah. Bred raptors? Uh, yeah, it's just anything Goldblum says at any time <laughs> in the film, no matter how he says it. Magic. I think uh, my favorite Goldblum line is when he's like... Uh, no, it's Sam Hill's like, are you married? And he's like, mm, occasionally. And he's like, <laughs> and then he's like, I'm always on the uh, lookout for future uh, Miss X, Mrs. Malcolm. <laughs> <laughs> it's such uh, a good line. I also love the. Uh, now I'm just sitting in the car by myself, talking to myself. Uh, that, that 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 that's chaos theory. Yeah, <laughs> just like shut up. Yeah, the but chaos never theory. shut up. Yeah, and then he's in the back of the car. Uh, must must go faster. Yeah, it's must just... go faster. Same line, same delivery as Independence Day. Must yeah. go faster. <laughs> um, what else? Just, yeah, everything he does is, is fantastic. Yeah, it's tremendous. <laughs> just the whole, his whole character, the leather, all of it, is just like... The hair, the leather, the glasses, the chest. Yeah, it's weird. I think that, we, like you said, 90s Goldblum's highly underrated by today's standards, because like you forget how wonderful he is. He, <laughs> he is truly the star of the movie. And I have to say, guys, I know it's been a couple years since we did the episode for Independence Day, but when you go back to watch Independence Day, it breaks down like this. The Bill Pullman speech is the number one best part of that movie. Yep. The number two best part is every time Goldblum is on screen, and arguably the worst part is any scene that Will Smith has before he settles down and has scenes with Goldblum. Yes. His scenes with Goldblum get better. His scenes before Goldblum are like kind of painful They're to watch. unbearable to watch. And the ones with Goldblum, it's like Goldblum's like reeling him in. Yeah, Goldblum's just great. And to Will Smith's defense, like when you have no one to play off of yeah. and they're just like, just be crazy, Will. Yeah. That's what he get. I mean, we've said this before, and we'll say it again. There was this thing in the '90s. It was just, it was just this thing where it was like, Will Smith, you have been really, really successful as being the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and you've got this like cool, kind of like sassy, like, uh, like very relatable guy from the hood angle. So why don't you do that? People like right. that. That's fun. And it's just like these unintelligent audiences that want you to do kind of a slightly racist portrayal of what slightly. a black man. It does. is completely racist portrayal of what what people thought black people acted like, like. Eddie Murphy, Orlando Bloom, Martin Lawrence, Chris Tucker, Orlando Chris Jones. Rock. Orlando Bloom? What did I say? Orlando oh, yeah, I, I wrote Orlando Jones here, and I said Orlando Bloom. Uh, and, and, then, and then Will Smith. Yeah, it's Ice Cube, like, Anaconda. Just make that dude is big. It's yeah. like, what are you doing? No, Stop it. No, you're not. Yeah, anyway, so it's just that kind of thing in the 90s. We've talked about it many times. We don't need to harp on it. It didn't translate well, and that's the biggest complaint. With Independence, Independence Day. Day. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, hats off to uh, the world for getting its head out of its ass <laughs> and treating people, most, people of most Mostly out of its ass. Yes, definitely true. <laughs> definitely true. Half our country does not. So let's uh, let's continue to move through the last last bit of the show, which is uh, the three action movie categories. There's three categories. Uh, totally ridiculous. Totally legitimate. Ridiculously legitimate. Totally uh, legitimate movies are like lone survivor and the fugitive, fugitive. Yeah. they hold together they're very dramatic they never fall apart you never laugh unintentionally totally ridiculous or like con air face off really silly movies uh the fifth element we kind of just like find ourselves laughing the whole time and then of course the middle category point break and predator the rock the rock they're kind of our favorites they combine the two they're held together by some really strong elements but you do find yourself kind of laughing and chuckling and being pretty amu- amused um i feel like this has to fall in that category yeah, I, I was originally going to say totally legitimate, but I think Dr. Ian Malcolm is just too awesome to not be put in the middle category. I know that's kind of weird to say. Yeah. But, like, it, the enjoyment out of him is it's enjoying him as a caricature. Yeah. You know, it's completely. like it's enjoying that ridiculousness. But I think that's why he's in the film, though. Yeah. That's why he's there. So I don't. What, what do you got? Yeah, it's it's a tough sell because it's such really a good tough. movie, but I think the middle category ridiculously legitimate. I mean, the thing is, the ridiculously legitimate category 
doesn't necessarily always have to reference there's some element of the movie that's bad. No, yeah, exactly. Um, but on the other hand, I think I'm going to swing into the favor of Totally Legit. Because I think every time you laugh at Ian Malcolm... They're laughing, too. It's intentional. Yeah. The only one that I can think of is the him splayed out shirtless, <laughs> which is seriously such an impactful moment in the movie, and it's so absurd that I almost think that moves it into the middle category. Just that one move. It's so big. It's so ridiculous. When you're watching the movie, it comes up, and you're like... If, you, if I was like my son was watching with me, I'd be like, "What the fuck is this?" Like, I'd be like, "What? Like, why did that happen?" I, like, not like it's just like such a weird thing. By the end of it, you're like, "All right, it's fine." He's just like right, right. he's just like a stud. He's a rock star. Right. He literally looks like what a rock star would be doing, lying yeah. there with his shirt slid open. But it's just like so weird in a kids' movie that that's the character and that's the choice. Oh, um, man. So it almost makes it ridiculously legitimate for me. Yeah. But I think I think I have to stay totally legit. I really want to put it in the middle category, but I, I think you're right. I don't think you yes. I don't think you actually <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me that the audience can see that, because that is wonderful. Oh, you know it, guys. oh it's <laughs> so good. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm gonna agree. What the fuck is that? Yeah, right. What's happening here? I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna say it totally legit. Even though it, it does feel like the middle category it does feel more like those movies. Yeah. But there isn't anything that pulls it out of the totally legit category. Yeah, I agree. Yep. We haven't even talked about how good Richard Attenborough is. He's uh, he's just fantastic. Did you read that thing about he's directing Richard Attenborough after losing to him for Attenborough directing Gandhi in eighty two? Yeah, same year he that lost. E. T. lost to Gandhi at the Oscars for Best Picture. Yeah. Then the previous year he lost Best Director. Right, yeah, to him. Yeah, he lost Best Director. But I thought that was interesting. Yeah, Attenborough is. It's. Did you read the other thing about the storm, the hurricane? No, maybe not. So. Th- Throughout this, there was the the famous storm that the the hurricane Inca or whatever it oh, was. Oh, yes, I did read this. Yeah, and uh, during this the storm, the one night in the hotel, the the cast and crew they were all forced. Every single person on the cast and crew had to go to the ballroom yeah. for safety, um, and they ended up moving production back to L.A. because the storm did not relent. But that night during this crazy storm, uh, uh, Catherine Kennedy kept referring to it as a freight train flying by, 120 mile an hour winds, relentlessly throughout the night. Yeah. And uh, Attenborough, in the morning, he had slept through the entire thing, stayed in his room. And uh, uh, they're like, how did you do that? Yeah. And he's like, oh, my dear, I, I, I survived the breach or something like, like yeah. some battle that he'd been in. <laughs> and it was just like one of those things. It's like, look, dude, I've been in war. Yeah. I can sleep through a fucking storm. Yeah. It was just so cool. He didn't even wake up during a it's hurricane. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's the man. He's so good in this movie. He's so good. He's incredible. And yeah. like the heartbreak that he has for things not working yeah is incredible yeah yeah Yeah. he's really great so guys there's only one category left on the show and that is called the pitch we've got a really exciting one this is episode 98 we've got two episodes left uh well one until 100 and episode 99 is a really exciting one it's a big one it's the raid redemption raid yeah and you've never seen it i've never seen it. i've been waiting this whole time to watch it with drew and we've been he's been filming this movie we haven't had time but we're gonna watch it together we're gonna cover it on the show a lot of you guys have been waiting for this movie for a long time the raid redemption coming up next week can't freaking wait i can legitimately say the best fight scenes i've seen in movies in the last decade or more yeah i can't wait yeah yep there you go agreed it's it's absolutely yeah and the sequel was yeah, we'll 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 get there, obviously. But I'm so so excited to uh, to talk about the raid. I hope that you guys enjoyed watching us. Yeah, on the movie trivia showdown. Yeah, thank you guys so much for watching that. Uh, it was heartbreaking for us to lose the way we did. One point, Ben knew both the answers, and his buzzer was going off. It was literally milliseconds late, and. 
it was just such a hard fought battle. Yeah. Gigantic congratulations to those losers, those assholes. The nerds watch. Yeah, uh, incredibly well fought. The only ever fourth overtime on the Schmodown. We yeah. went into over quadruple overtime, and they didn't say this. And Christian might get mad if we talk about it. But Ben had an incredible challenge. <laughs> there during was a challenge it. that saved us in overtime. Like after we'd lost uh, something, and he was like, "No, no, no, no! It's a challenge. We got to anyway." It was. One of the greatest experiences ever, and if you haven't watched the match, you gotta go. You gotta watch go it. watch it. We're we're hoping we're hoping that we'll be back for a rematch sooner than later. Yep. Um, so, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thanks for listening. This has been Action Movie Now to be on the Popcorn Talk Network. Thanks for sticking with us for 98 episodes. We're yeah. almost there to 100, guys, and we promise there's some very exciting news coming up with episode 100. Some really big stuff, uh, and uh, and yeah, that's that's what we're doing. So. Yeah, absolutely. So, if you guys want to follow along with us, you can follow the show at AMA Podcast. You can follow me at Andrew Guy on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow me at Ben Bateman Media. We didn't even mention this one time, but Goldblum did confirm as Dr. Ian Malcolm in Jurassic oh, World 2. That's, yes, that, that is was, That's a big piece of news. We just <laughs> totally... Like a big part of why we're doing this just show. Just whiffed on it. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, guys, thank mm-hmm. you so much for watching. Thanks for listening, and we will see you guys same time, same place, next week. Bye. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only, and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals. 